Are you a strong Christian? Welcome to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr., author and pastor teacher at Shiloh Church in Jacksonville and Orange Park, Florida. Today's text out of Ephesians 6 asks four questions to understand what it means to be a strong Christian and stand firm in spiritual warfare. Today, Pastor Charles will answer those questions. One, what is a strong Christian? Two, how do you become a strong Christian? Three, why do you need to be a strong Christian? And four, when should you be a strong Christian? Today's message, Strength for the Struggle. And now, here's Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm amen this is God's word you may be seated I want to label the message strength for the struggle strength for the struggle. I am a Christian. I love God. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I strive to live according to his word and will and way. But it seems that I have more struggles now that I am a Christian than before I was a Christian. Why? Have you ever asked this question? Are you at a place in your life where you are asking this question now? It's a legitimate question, but it's rooted in an illegitimate assumption. The illegitimate assumption is that once you trust Christ for salvation, all of your struggles will be over. The direct opposite is true. When you trust Jesus Christ for salvation, you open yourself up to struggles you never would have had if you didn't trust in the Lord Jesus. Christianity is a battleground, not a playground. Inevitably, there will be attacks against your biblical convictions. There will be attacks against your personal obedience. There will be attacks against your interpersonal relationships. If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be a struggle. But there is strength for the struggle. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. These are the words that introduce Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, which is the fullest statement about spiritual warfare in all of the Bible. It is 
the only passage in the New Testament that describes the Christian life this way. And everything that Paul says in this text about spiritual warfare is rooted in this opening command, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The opening word finally connects this passage to what has been written in the prior passage and sections. Typically, when Paul writes his letters, there are two major sections. There is a section where he teaches doctrine and then a section where he exhorts to duty. We find that here in the book of Ephesians, and yet we get to this finally section. There seems to be a third major subject introduced. Chapters 1 through 3 represent the, the doctrine we must believe. Chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 6, verse 9 is the duty we must fulfill. But now in chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, we find the difficulty we must overcome. Let me try it another way. Chapters 1 through 3 are about the believer's wealth in Christ. Chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 6, verse 9 is about the believer's walk in Christ. But now in chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, Paul moves from the believer's wealth and the believer's walk to the believer's warfare. No? Let me try it one more time. In chapters 1 through 3, the Christian is seated with Christ in heavenly places. In chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 6, verse 9, those that are seated in Christ are commanded to walk in faith. But now, in chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, the one who is seated in Christ, we see must not only walk in faith, but he or she must also stand in victory. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It is no accident that this text immediately follows the household instructions in chapter 5, verse 22 through chapter 6, verse 9, where Paul gives instructions concerning how we should honor Christ in our relationships at home and at work. We move from the personal to the cosmic, if you will. And the progression of the text indicates that if you are serious about living for Jesus, be ready for the enemy to strike back. Well, I don't get it, Pastor. I'm trying to live for Jesus. I can't understand why I'm having all of these struggles. Friend, if you are truly living for Jesus, what do you expect? That the devil is going to pat you on the back and clear the way for you and encourage you on the journey? No. If you are serious about your walk with the Lord, the enemy will attack to undermine or overthrow fidelity of doctrine, holiness of lifestyle, and unity of fellowship in your life. It will be a struggle. But there is strength for the struggle. In fact, that's the message of the four verses of our text today. You must be a strong Christian to stand firm in spiritual warfare. I'll say it again. You must be a strong Christian to stand firm in spiritual warfare. 
Let me walk you through these verses. The question of the text is this. Are you a strong Christian? Consider these four verses and let's raise four questions from these four verses to help us better understand what it means to be a strong Christian. Here's the first question. What is a strong Christian? What is a strong Christian? Verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This opening verse of the section is bad news and good news. I'll give you the good news first. The Lord Jesus Christ is strong. He is omnipotent. That means the Lord has perfect power over everything in the created world. Let me give you the good news again. The Lord Jesus Christ is strong. Here's the bad news. You are not. I am not. Each of us, we are sinful, finite, and weak. There are three different Greek words for strength in verse 10. I will not do a word study on those terms. Suffice it to say there are three different Greek words for strength in verse 10. And Paul says we're so weak we need all three. We need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You can only be strong as a Christian as you trust and obey the one who declared in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is perfected in your weakness. A strong Christian both trusts and obeys the Lord. On one hand, a strong Christian trusts the Lord. Strong Christians trust the Lord for salvation. Note that this call to strength is a call to strength in a specific sphere of strength. You can only be strong in the Lord. That means you can't be strong if you are not in the Lord. You cannot be strong if you are not in Christ. You, you cannot be strong if you have not been saved, if you have not been redeemed, if you have not been born again. In another place, Paul describes the, the guilty sinner who is without Christ as being without strength. Here are the bottom lines of life. God is holy and we are not. And every one of us will have to answer to God for how we have lived our lives. There is no good thing in us to commend to God. Our good works do not satisfy the righteousness of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but God so loved the world that he sent his son who lived a righteous life, died an atoning death at the cross to pay for our sins, and God proved it by raising him from the dead. And all who trust in Christ and the blood of his cross are saved. Immediately, we are saved from the penalty of sin. Progressively, we are saved from the power of sin. And ultimately, we are saved from the presence of sin. Here, Paul tells us that the evidence, the, the sign of real salvation is that there is this progressive salvation, this strength that is demonstrated in the believer's daily life to fight 
the spiritual battles that inevitably come. The strong Christian trusts Christ for salvation, but the strong Christian also trusts Christ for strength. Huh? You can't have this strength if you are not a Christian. But you don't have this strength just because you are a Christian. You can be a true Christian and live in spiritual weakness if you do not depend on the strength of the Lord. First Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, at a time of great distress, the Bible says that King David strengthened himself in the Lord. This is more than just encouraging himself, as some older translations say. He was, he was not just giving himself a pep talk. He strengthened himself in the Lord. That means in the moment of distress... He was able to stand firm because in a moment of distress, he remembered where his strength came from. And friends, there are things that happen in life that we blame on life and we blame on people and we blame on the devil. But it may actually be God orchestrating life in, in such a way that great distress forces you to recognize that your strength is not in your money, your education, your accomplishments, your skills, or your ability. Sometimes God allows the battles to rage in our lives to show you the hard way that you are not as big and as bad and as bold as you think you are. It forces us to depend on him for strength. A strong Christian trusts the Lord, but a strong Christian also obeys the Lord. Verse 10 again says, be strong in the Lord. That, that verb is an imperative, a mandate, a command. God orders you, Christian, to be strong. To live in spiritual weakness is to live in spiritual rebellion. God commands you to be strong. And the grammar denotes habitual, continual, repeated action. Keep being strong in the Lord. You are not a strong Christian if you are only a strong Christian on Sunday mornings. You are not a strong Christian if you are only strong on good days, in favorable circumstances, on happy occasions. For the Christian, strength is to be a way of life. We're to keep being strong in the Lord. The key to this is that phrase, in the Lord. You see, this call to strength is internal, but it is not inherent. You and I are called to be strong, but you got to remember, it's not your strength. You cannot win spiritual battles in your own puny Strength. You must be strong in the Lord. You must be strengthened by his might. This strength is 
watch this phrase, in the Lord, strength reflects divine omnipotence. The title Lord reflects divine sovereignty. He who is omnipotent is sovereign. And if you're going to access his strength, you must obey his sovereignty. You cannot experience divine strength without submitting to divine authority. So in a real sense, spiritual victory is not so much about learning how to fight the enemy as it is about learning how to submit to the Lord. The Bible says that the real concern is not chasing down the devil, looking over your shoulder, worried about what the devil is doing. In fact, you want a crash course in spiritual warfare, it's in James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You must submit to his lordship in order to experience his strength. Joshua chapter 5, before the battle of Jericho, in the middle of the night, Joshua is out doing reconnaissance. And he is confronted by a man holding a sword. And he says, are you of us or of them? Good question. The answer is, I am the captain of the host of the army of the Lord. Even better answer. Joshua says, are you on our side or their side? Here's the answer. You must don't know who I am. I'm the captain of the army of the Lord. I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. <laughs> you cannot experience the Lord's power if you don't submit to the Lord's authority a strong Christian trust and obeys the Lord. Why do you need to be a strong Christian? Or how do you become a strong Christian? Maybe it's the second question. How do you become a strong Christian? Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Here is another divine command and its intended result. And here we find, may I submit, two ways to become a strong Christian. You want to be a stronger Christian? Here it is. First, put on the whole armor of God. The command in verse 11 is how you fulfill the command in verse 10. To be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, you must put on the whole armor of God. Let me try it another way. Strong Christians are dressed for battle. They're dressed for spiritual battle. In 1 Samuel 17, when David determined to fight the, God, the giant Goliath, King Saul tried to give David his equipment, you remember? David says, I can't wear your armor. I've got to be, I've got to be good with what God made me good with. Saul, son, you don't know what you're facing. Goliath has size and strength and skill and a, an experience. He's got a helmet. He's got a breastplate. He's got shoes, he's got a sword, he's got a shield. He got an armor bearer. I mean, like a real, literal armor bearer. What you got, David? I got a slingshot. 
I got a few stones. That's all. No, one more thing. I got a God who's never lost a battle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, Paul says it this way. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, are not worldly, they're not of the flesh. We must put on the whole armor of God. What is the armor of God? In verses 14 through 17, Paul says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. To be strong in the Lord, you must put on your armor. Wait, 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 though, wait. It's not really your armor. It's the armor of God. Of God means he owns it, he gives it, and he models it. God owns this armor, which is a statement of divine sovereignty. It's his armor. God gives this armor, which is a statement of divine generosity. He shares his armor with you. But he wears this armor, which is a statement about his divine character. Most likely, Paul wrote Ephesians while under house arrest in Rome. They didn't have uh, the technology back then to, uh, you know, put a monitor on his foot or something if he left the house, so they just did it the old-fashioned way. They chained him to a soldier. <laughs> and most likely, Paul paints this picture here as he sees the soldier of the Roman army who has his breastplate and his belt and his helmet and his shoes. This Roman image is rooted, however, in Old Testament language. Old Testament language for God. Just run your cross-references on Ephesians 6, and you'll find, for instance, in, in Isaiah 59, verse 17. The Bible says of the Lord, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. This breastplate of righteousness and helmet of salvation is not merely Roman weaponry. It's divine armor. This is how God dresses when he goes to war. And Paul says if you want to access his strength, you've got to wear his armor. You must put on the armor of God. Do you see the verb there? It's his armor, he gives it, but you have to put it on. Vance Havner used to say that God feeds the birds every day, but he doesn't put worms in their nest. Some things God makes you do for yourself. He gives the armor graciously, but listen, you must choose to put it on. When you wake up in the morning, you must choose to dress yourself in the armor of God if you are going to be able to stand firm, resist temptation, and live obediently. The opposite is a, is a foolish notion. Can you imagine? Waking up in the morning, looking in your spiritual closet, seeing all that God has provided for your spiritual victory, and then going about your day saying, I don't need all of that. This is why day by day we fall into temptation. This is why day by day 
we sin and fall short of the glory of God. This is why day by day we fail to obey the commands of God, not because the strength is not available, not because it is too much. God, God never asks us to do too much, friends. Listen, divine commandment always brings divine enablement. He will always give you the strength to do what he commands you to do. The question is, who are you dependent on? Whose strength are you walking in? Who's pushing your swing? If you're going to stand firm, you must put on the whole armor of God. You've got to choose to put it on, living day by day, in dependence upon divine help. Furthermore, you've got to put on the whole armor. The complete armor, the full armor. It doesn't help to have the belt of truth if you don't have the breastplate of righteousness. It doesn't help to have the shoes of the gospel of peace if you don't have the sword of the spirit. It doesn't help to have the shield of faith if you don't have the helmet of salvation. In other words, you can't be victorious if day by day you pick in which pieces of the armor you're going to wear. These are not individual accessories. This is a complete outfit. And you've got to wear the whole armor of God in order to stand firm in spiritual warfare. On one hand, you must put on the whole armor of God. But the other way to be a strong Christian is simply this. Once you've done that, stand against the schemes of the devil. The Christian has three spiritual enemies. Our external enemy is the world. The God-ignoring, God-hating, God-denying value system of the culture we live in. Our internal enemy is the flesh. Meaning, sometimes my biggest problem is me. Our external enemy is the world. Our internal enemy is the flesh. Our infernal enemy is the devil. Here, when Paul says, you need to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He makes this statement with this conviction. The devil is real. There are two big extremes you can live in as a believer. One is just to be overly preoccupied with the devil. The other is to ignore him. The devil is real. You may be sophisticated, educated, intellectual. But let me just lay that all aside to say this. You cannot believe in the Bible if you don't believe in the devil. Because from beginning to end, the Bible presents the devil as a real spirit being not a representation of evil, not a personification of wickedness, not a sign of that which is bad. He's a real dude. Jesus says the devil is real. That's all I need. If Jesus believes in the devil, I believe in the devil. That's pretty much where I am. The devil is real and the devil is powerful. He is powerful. He is like, says 1 Peter chapter 5. He is, says Peter, like a roaring lion. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. Seeking whom he may devour.
news this weekend was of a tiger whisperer who lost her life at the zoo when the tiger attacked her. Because tigers can't be tamed. Their nature never really changes. They are animals that instinctively attack. And this is how Peter describes the devil. He is not to be played with. He's not to be joked about. I would advise you in your own day-to-day family life, be careful how you play around with the name of Jesus. And don't don't playfully refer to the devil. He is a real and powerful enemy. If you don't believe me, go ask Job. All of the tragedy that happened in Job's life was God allowed, but it was Satan executed. He is real, he is powerful. Here's the third big thing you need to know about the devil. He's defeated. Martin Luther said the devil is God's lapdog. I like that. God's got him on a leash. God's letting him run around, but he only goes as far as God permits him to go. Think about, let me tell you. Why the Bible is such a wonderful book. There's no devil in the first two chapters of the Bible and there's no devil in the last two chapters of the Bible. Thank God for a book that gets rid of the devil. He is defeated, but he is still on the loose. And a doomed, defeated enemy is all the more dangerous because he ain't got nothing to lose. Satan can't defeat God. Stop talking about the great between good and evil, truth and error, God and Satan. Ah, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Satan ain't on God's level like that. God is omnipotent. He has power over all things. Satan does not. God is omnipresent. He's neither late, tardy, nor absent. He's fully present everywhere at the same time. Satan can only be at one place at one time. God is omniscient. He knows everything known, unknown, and knowable. Satan is not. Satan is not really God's enemy. He's yours. He cannot defeat God. He has already lost that battle. The devil is trying to take down with them as many as he can. And so... He attacks believers. He attacks believers. Watch this. Not with force, but with trickery. You need to put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Notice the language Paul uses is not language of force, but of deception. This is how he operates. If you drop down in our text to verse number 16, where Paul says, in all circumstances, you should take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The devil can only be at one place at one time. There are only six recorded instances of persons personally dealing with the devil in the scriptures. Most of us, I assume many of us, all of us in this room, I'd say, have never had a personal encounter with the devil. This is why he has forces to do his dirty work. That's verse 12. And most of us haven't dealt with the devil because... He ain't after little shots. 
You see leaders and, and faithful people and strong Christians fall, and what you do is you criticize them, saying, I can't understand. He called himself a preacher, and he's supposed to be so close to the Lord, and he failed. Can I tell you why? The, the devil attacks him because he's a threat. You sitting back one, talking about you ain't never failed because he ain't attacked you because you ain't doing nothing for Jesus. He's, he's working from a distance, shooting darts. Not just darts, fiery darts. Inflamed arrows, watch me, because he's not just trying to get you, he's trying to get your house, your surroundings, everything in your vicinity. Y'all not in here with me. He, he works strategically. Not by force, but by scheme. Can I show you something else? Just go left one page to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 20. Let's start at verse 25. The Bible says, you should put away falsehood and you should speak the truth to your neighbor. Paul is talking about how to treat your neighbor, how to treat other people, because we're all members of one another. Look at verse 26. How should you treat your neighbor? Be angry. You got a right to be angry. But your anger, look at the verse, should never be an excuse to sin. It should never be a license to sin. It should never be a reason to sin. Be angry, but do not sin. How can I make sure, HB, that when I'm angry, it doesn't lead me into sin? Look at the next phrase. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. The longer you let anger linger, the more bitterness grows that leads you into sin. But watch the next phrase in verse 27. And do not give opportunity to the devil. So you angry, and you letting that anger fester and marinate over time. And you think you are getting even with the person. When verse 27 says, when you let anger linger, you are just playing into the schemes of the devil. The extended anger, he says, gives an opportunity for the devil to move in and do his dirty work. Am I making sense to anybody here? We have an enemy and that enemy is the devil and that devil has schemes you must put on the whole arm of God so that you may, watch the next, next phrase, stand. Stand is defensive posture. Not offensive, defensive. Not, the Bible doesn't tell us to attack the devil. It just says, stand. You don't need to defeat him, he already defeated He's, he's trying to reclaim territory he already lost. You don't have to try to defeat him. He's already defeated. You just got to stand your ground. Spiritual warfare is not about taking back what the devil stole from you. It's not what the Bible teaches. And let me tell you something. That, that, that assumes prosperity theology. First of all, if it's spiritual stuff, Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If the devil can steal that, God ain't God. When the text says, stand your ground, he is saying, listen to me, friend, the devil is not after your job or your money or your marriage or your health or your joy 
He is after, watch me. He is after your faith. Watch me. He'll, watch me, listen. He'll mess with your health if that can get you to stop trusting God. What, read Job. He'll take your money if he can use that to get you to stop trusting God. He, he's not after your car. He's after your soul. And the only way he can win is if you take off your equipment and walk away from the battlefield. The Bible says you got to stand. You got to stand your ground. Why do you need to be a strong Christian? Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic forces over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 11 is bad enough. You've got to fight the devil. Verse 12 says even worse, he's a gangbanger. He don't fight by himself. He got a crowd fighting with him. He's the captain of an army. And in that regard, he's smarter than you. You need a game. You read verses 14 through 17 that list the armor of God. What you will notice, friends, is that there is nothing to guard your back. You know why? Because the Roman soldier never went to battle on his own. They fought in legions. And when the enemy attacked, they would stand together. And the idea here of the image is this. You cannot win spiritual victories if you're fighting by yourself. You need other Christians who will stand with you. You need other Christians in your life who know the word of God. You need other Christians in your life who know how to get a prayer through. In fact, they called them prayer warriors when I was a boy. You shouldn't fight alone because the devil doesn't fight alone. He has a host with which he fights. And this truth in verse 12 says to us two things about why it is important for you to be dressed for battle in spiritual strength. On one hand, our struggle is not against human forces. Our struggle is not against human forces. We do not wrestle. Interesting term here. It refers to hand-to-hand -hand combat. The idea was to knock the opponent off of his feet and take his life. Not, not pin him, get him to tap out, to take his life. Satan is trying to kill your faith in God. Uh, we're in a hand-to-hand -hand combat for our lives. But would you note here that it is not against flesh and blood? That is, our opponent is not a human force. Indeed, there will be human opposition in your life. I believe this is why the warfare passage right here is right next to the instructions about how you ought to treat people in terms of family, marriage, and work. Sometimes you're going to have to obey Jesus in spite of your husband or wife, or children, or parents, or co-workers. There will be human opposition in your life, but here's what Paul is saying. 
Mark it down, friends. People are not your biggest problem. The church needs to remember this corporately as we face a changing culture. You know, to fix things, we need to change some stuff in the economic institutions, political institutions, educational institutions, and that's what we put too much of our emphasis on in the church in America these days. If we just get this person elected, this person out of office, this law changed, it'll fix everything. And to that, Paul says, the real enemy ain't flesh and blood. For us to focus on people, it's like us celebrating the arrest of the little street dealer. It may be a little progress. But the big shot that runs the organization is just going to put another one on the street. You got bigger fish to fry. The problem is not merely human. The church needs to recognize this corporately, and you need to recognize this individually. Friends, stop spending so much time worried about who does not like you, who's not talking to you, what people feel about you, what they saying about you. So what? People are not your biggest problem. And you'll lose some fights because you show up for the wrong battles. Our struggle is against demonic forces. Verse 12, against rulers and authorities and the cosmic powers of this present darkness and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The key here is not trying to interpret these phrases to identify what's behind these terms. We don't know what Paul means by these four terms, and to try to draw conclusions is only speculative. In fact, the key word here is not the terms itself in my estimation. It's the word that is used six times in the text, five times in this verse, and four times in relationship to our enemy. Against, 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 against. He is trying to say you, are, you have opposition that surrounds you. The real enemy is invisible, powerful, and organized. Rulers and authorities. This present darkness, chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, describes this darkness as the sin of our age, but Paul says there are cosmic powers over the present darkness. You know, when I was thinking about changing laws, we need more than just change laws. We need spiritual revival. When I was a boy, they used to sing, Satan, we going to pray your kingdom down. It's about, look at the end of verse 12, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I think that's a summary for all four terms, spiritual forces of evil. You ought to note that because this is the only place in the New Testament where the word spiritual has a negative connotation. Spirituality can be a good thing, and it can be a bad thing. Don't be bragging that you're spiritual. The devil's spiritual, too. <laughs> the Bible never tells us to be spiritual. It never tells us to be spiritual. You are spiritual. You are a spiritual being that lives in a physical body. And one day, this physical body is going to die, and your spiritual being is going to continue to live. No one has to command you to be spiritual. You can't help it. 
I am a spiritual being. You've never seen me. You just see the flesh I live in. Who I am is the person underneath the skin. When, when the body dies, this animated flesh will go to the dirt, but the spirit being will live forever. The Bible doesn't command us to be spiritual. We already are. It commands us to be righteous. And that is not something we can do on our own because of the bondage of sin. I got to rush, but if you're taking notes, you should jot down one of my favorite parables. It's in Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. Jesus says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, stay with me, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes into dry places looking for rest and can't find any. So Jesus says the, the devil messes up this man's life so much that he don't want to stay there no more. And he goes looking for another house to mess up. Can't find one and he comes back to that original man and finds the house clean, decorated, but empty. You missed it. While he was gone, the house stopped drinking, it stopped smoking, it stopped clubbing, started going to church, started being charitable, started living. The, the house was, was so brand new looking that when Satan drove down the street, he like passed by and didn't even recognize it. It was just like... What in the world happened? It's, it's a brand new house except for one thing. Watch me. The devil's old keys still work. It's clean, but it's empty. He goes and gets seven demons and takes the house over, and it's worse at the end than it was in the beginning. Do you get what Jesus is saying? It doesn't help you to be religious and to go to church and to be charitable and to serve and do all that good stuff if you don't have a strong man living on the inside to protect the house against the attacks of the enemy. This is why you need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the whole arm of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. I got one more verse real quickly. One more quick question and I'm done. When do you need to be a strong Christian? Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand when? In the evil day. I do not believe this is eschatological. The, the, the Bible predicts that before the end of the world, things are going to get worse. The signs of the times are that things will be getting worse. 2 Timothy 3 and 1 says, perilous times of trouble will come. But I don't think this is the eschatological end of the world, final battle, evil day. I think more practically, Paul is speaking here about, listen, any day the enemy attacks, I want you to get that. The evil day could be any day. The enemy attacks. It could be any day. The enemy may attack when you are a new Christian. You trust Jesus, you get baptized, you join church, and all hell breaks loose. Because he's trying to get you to turn back before you get too far into the journey. The enemy may attack when you're isolated. That's why you need to be with other Christians. That's why you need to be marked present in church. That's why you need to be building relationships. The devil wins rounds when he can get you on the ropes by yourself. The enemy attacks when you are in affliction, when you are suffering, when trouble comes, and he makes you feel like God has forsaken you. The enemy has a way of attacking when you are idle. If you are not busy working for the Lord, the devil is going to try to make sure you're doing something for him. 
Now, I don't know. I don't know why I can't resist temptation. Well, I know if you watch your TV all day and ain't praying and reading your Bible, the answer is easy. You get it? They're all kind of evil days. But here's the big thing about the evil day. You will not get a phone call today from the devil who will say to you, hey, this is the devil. And I just want you to know that the evil day is going to be the 18th. So I'm coming by your house tomorrow. So you better have your guard up because I'm on my way. You better be ready. He's not going to warn you. So listen, because the evil day can be any day, you got to be ready every day. Every day. You got to put on the whole armor of God. When you wake up in the morning, in your prayer time, Put on armor and say, Lord, I don't know if the attack is coming today, but I'm asking today I'm putting on the, the belt of truth. And I'm asking you to help me not to be deceived by the devil's lies today. May truth hold everything together. May truth hold everything in place. May I be stable because I know the truth of who you are, what you've done for me, and who I am in you. Lord... I know I'm going to face temptation today, so I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Guard my heart, Lord. Help me to watch what I look at, what I listen to, so my heart ain't led astray in the sin. Lord, help me put on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Help me not to be ashamed of the gospel today. Wherever I am, let me be bold to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Lord, help me today. To have the shield of faith because the devil is going to be throwing darts and help me to trust you when they talk about me. Trust you when they lie on me. Trust you when the storm is. Lord, I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. Help me to remember. I don't care what they call me. I'm your child. I don't care how they treat me. I belong to you. I don't care what's going on. I'm on my way to heaven. And Lord, I'm taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Just like Jesus defeated the devil by saying, it is written. It is written. It is written. Help me today to stand my ground. By standing on your word. Because the evil day could be any day you got to be dressed for battle. Every day. Put on the whole arm of God so that you can withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. Wait, 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 wait. That's my final word. That's the essential mark of a strong Christian. Don't know a strong Christian. Because I'm blessed in the city and blessed in the field and I'm highly favored and I'm the head and not the tail and the barn. No, no. It's not about cars and houses and jobs and getting a man, getting a woman. That's not, that's, you do know church, the devil gives cars too. He gives houses too, he gives jobs too. That ain't a sign that you're close to the law. Do you know what is the essential evidence of a strong Christian? It is. Uh, just, I'm quitting, but just hunt your neighbor for me and tell him you may be stronger than you think you are. The, the, listen, listen, listen. The evidence, the essential evidence of a strong Christian is this. In spite of all that the enemy has done, you still standing.
You didn't hear me. I said you didn't hear me. Somebody in here knows that if it was left up to you, you would have quit a long time ago. If it was left up to you, you would have thrown in the towel a long time ago. You would have gave up the battle a long time ago. But thanks be to God, you're still standing. Yeah, I got battle scars, but I'm standing. Yeah, I got tears in my eyes, but I'm standing. Yeah, the burden is heavy, but thanks be to God. Still standing. Still. My heart is broken, but I'm standing. My mind is confused. But I'm standing. I don't know how I'm going to make rent next month, but I'm still standing. I'm standing by the grace of God. Glory to his name. Thanks for listening to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr., If you'd like more resources from Pastor Charles or to support this ministry, you can reach us online at cutstraight.org. That's cutstraight.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.